Welcome into the recap episode of the All Ball Podcast for Wild Card Weekend in the NFL. Had a bunch of good games, but let's jump right into them. The Saturday game starting off with the Bengals versus the Raiders. Bengals holding on by the skin of their teeth to end this one. Uh, win by seven, cover the spread. But this is one where if you're a Bengals fan, you kind of you, you got to be like, I don't know. It's just you really should have expected more of your team to actually win this game. Cause when you look at it, when we discussed how the Raiders actually win this game, it's getting pressure on Joe Burrow, forcing things in, forcing him into either quick throws or getting him on the ground consistently. And I didn't feel like they had that. I didn't feel like the, the Raiders were controlling the line of scrimmage there. So the fact that this was still a close game and the Raiders had a chance to not only to tie it at the end of the game, it, it makes me a little bit worried if I'm a Bengals fan. Yeah, this is probably my biggest pet peeve um, in the NFL. And I think also arguably what separates, you know, good teams from great teams is when you're just not able to step on the throat. It, you know, Bengals are clearly the better team in this game, but they keep settling for three. Um, they score a grand total of six points in the second half. you got to put these guys away. You know, the Bengals were definitely the better team um, and they just couldn't put them away. And you know, you look back on this game and you can say, okay, the Bengals were in control, but you can also look back and say the Raiders were first in goal with a chance to tie. And, and for me, that stands out more. And maybe that's just because it was the most recent part of the game as it was the ending. But I thought I agree with you where great for the Bengals to get a win, especially because it had been so long for that franchise and a win is a win. But, you know, it left something to be desired. No, because you look at you really look at like the box score. I mean, you start you look at the counting stats. If you want to go total yardage and all that, that goes to the Raiders. But I also thought the Raiders needed to be more aggressive, and the Bengals were playing more of a little a little bit of a prevent defense as the game waned on. But I, I still just find that if you're a Bengals team and you're thinking about bigger things than obviously just beating the Raiders. When you go up against now a Tennessee Titans team that's been rested, that's getting guys back and all this, you can't have this type of game where you are leaving you are leaving points on the board consistently. I mean, the fact is that first half specifically, when you watch this, the Bengals were clearly the dominant team. I mean, the second half, it looks a little bit closer, but the first half, they were clearly the dominant team and you were up by seven points in going into the break. That That's that, that pretty unacceptable at that point. And, you know, I, I had heard somebody talk about the fact of this team was very up and down throughout the year. So you saw them, they would go to Baltimore and they destroyed them 41 to 16 or whatever the score was. Then the next week they play the jets and they lose. And you know, that's part of, that's on the coach. And this is another one where, I mean, there wasn't really a big day. Like I, I didn't think Zach Taylor was the best coach here. Uh, I didn't think he was the best coach on the field. And when, yeah, you, it works when you have the best quarterback on the field and that's what Joe Burrow was and he'll save your ass there. But I mean, when you have, when you go up against these better teams, the coaching mismatch is what's going to be the difference there, as we saw with other games this in the over the weekend, whether it was, you know, Mike McCarthy and Sean and uh, Kyle Shanahan. It's just stuff like that is the nitpicky stuff. It's nitpicky, but it's also the make or break or the difference between your team, you know, moving on to the divisional or the conference championship or the Super Bowl and your team going home for the for the until, uh, you know, next season. Yeah, and sort of to go with the coaching thing, I. Uh... I thought since he was really telegraphing a lot of first down runs, a lot of these pitch plays, mixing 17 carries, 48 yards. And the thing is, like the understandable thing is that Mixon had a lot of success against the Raiders the first time. Um, and that's how they put the game away when they played in the regular season, running with Mixon. 
but I was a little disappointed with like the lack of adapting to the situation. Yes, it worked earlier in the season, but you don't want to see that stuff again. And I thought I was part of the reason why they couldn't get anything going for the entire second half. Jamar Chase, great game from him. You know, I mean, he was like really the only guy I think that you could look at. Like CJ Ozoma had a solid game, but Jamar Chase is the guy. Like, and that's, you know, you, you see like these guys have great season, great rookie years or whatever, but obviously it's a different story when you come to the playoff time. And this is a Raiders pass secondary that had been pretty good throughout. I mean, they held T Higgins to one catch for 10 yards. And that was his first catch was in like the third or fourth quarter. I believe it was late in the fourth. Jamar Chase from the get-go from the first drive was the guy that was targeted to move them down the field on that first touchdown drive as for the Bengals now they move on and they play the Tennessee Titans who are rested and you know I I think I I think I'd lean Titans as we're sitting here on Monday uh Monday at four o'clock recording this right now yeah it's a great game you know um and we'll talk about the Chiefs and the Bills later but I think it's like interesting how how it's uh, shook out where you have to say you know there's going to be a lot of talk of like Oh, Chiefs Bills is the true AFC championship game. And that's not necessarily wrong or, or a sentiment that I disagree with. But for me, it sets up the best possible matchups because of that. Where like I'm very interested to see the Bengals and Titans. I think it's a great test for both teams. Are the Titans the the you know so-so team that's treading water we saw in the second half of the season? Or are they the team that beat the Bills and beat the Chiefs in the regular season? So um in you know, consecutive be- weeks. Exactly. And then they beat the Rams as well, you know. Are they that team? Because it's not like the Titans got the one seed by accident, right? They beat a lot of really good teams in the regular season. On the other hand, for the Bengals, if they come out there and handle the Titans, you think, okay, well, these guys can hang with anybody. We saw them beat the Chiefs, even if it was a little, you know, I don't know how replicable that comeback was. I thought, you know, the Chiefs kind of died out there. But point stands, you know, I think it's a really interesting, like, you hate to call it a battle for third, but that is kind of how it feels to me in far as far as the – uh AFC playoff picture goes. Well, I was talking about, you know, play, like coaching. Zach Taylor versus Mike Vrabel, who I think is the coach of the year at this point. You're telling me that, you know, you have a lot of faith that Zach Taylor is going to have that team ready, going to have that team, you know, prepared and put them in the same, in a similar situation to be successful like Mike Vrabel is? I, I'm not sure. I don't think no, I can I like really have Titans that much faith. I like, you know, I really like both of these teams. So it's, it's funny that they're going to meet in the playoffs. It's going to be hard for me to pick a side, but I guess when I think about it, I do like the Titans. Although I will say, you know, when I pick the Titans, I'm thinking of the pass rush getting back there a lot, like we saw them do against the Rams and some of these other, you know, pass heavy teams, but the Raiders, it's not like the Raiders were back there all day. No, that's, that, uh, that was where it was even, it was even not weirder, but just like more surprising that the Bengals didn't dominate more. It's not like, you know, it's not like Joe Burrow. It's not like Joe Burrow had all day in there, but it's not like he had two seconds either. So it was just, and I thought that was like the Raiders' biggest chance. The Raiders have never had a good secondary in my lifetime. Um, And so you know that they're not going to, it was going to be a pass rush team. And it wasn't really there like I thought it would be. Maybe they were overcommitting to the run, and that's why they had such a bad game running the ball. It could be, it could be that. Maybe. What do you think about the, uh, you know, the infamous whistle, whistle, no whistle play? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think if you're if you're a if you're a Raiders guy, a Raiders fan, a Raiders backer, you're gonna be like you're gonna be like, oh, it's so fucked because he was like, even if he wasn't out, the ref called it dead, and like that's the rule, and you know the play was called dead. But then if you're a Bengals guy, as I was, it's more of like a um, yes, a whistle was blown, but you should play through that, and you know. It would have been a blatant robbery for the Bengals had it been blown because he was not out of bounds and he wasn't even that close. 
Well, I mean, obviously he was close, but, um, and you want to play it that way. So I could see it from both sides. Um, it's unfortunate that it has to happen. Really, the only problem is just like that the whistle even came. That's why they try to not blow stuff dead, even when sometimes it feels a bit silly, like, you know, a clear non-fumble get, they let them play on. Yeah, I think yeah, I think if you're really if you're a Ra- if you're a Raiders guy, you're pissed. But when you look at it, the guys, it didn't look like anybody stopped playing. It didn't look like the the defenders held up because really it was like the split second between the ball leaving Joe Burrow's hand and it going to Jamar Chase at that point. That was who or Tyler Boyd. It, mm. That that's the split second difference. I didn't think that the the whistle necessarily made anybody stop. It didn't look like it. it looked like Tyler Boyd had shucked the defender and he was you know trying to recover there, but I didn't think he would get there in time. And then the pass run, it wasn't like anybody was barreling down on him that pulled away. It, it was a shitty play. It's, you know, bad job by the ref, and that's why those guys are not working any more, co- any more playoff games. Yeah. But I, I still – like, it's not one of those where they got absolutely hosed because it wasn't like Joe Burrow was out, and it's not like the defenders stopped. Dude, even that uh, – oh, uh, I agree. I think, I think we're in agreement then that it's like, yeah, it's unfortunate that the ref blew the whistle then, but it, honestly, like – for me, that has to be a touchdown because it w- for me, it, it would have been way worse had mm-hmm. it gone the other way where the whistle was blown early and then they take a clear touchdown away from the Bengals just because the ref did something. Agreed. So, completely agree. and also, you know, just while we're on the topic of the refs and these guys, um, I thought the roughing call on Carr was pretty soft in the fourth quarter in that two-minute drill. What did you think about that one? I'm trying to remember it. It was uh, – he was – he was hardly touched. Like, you know, I mean – I mean, they've had a couple of them. Like the – like. I like there was a couple just throughout the weekend and this has been like a talking point for the entire season and it's not going to change. It's never going to change. Like none of these coach, none of these referee things are going to change because in the end, the NFL just sees this as more publicity for them. More people are going to have like be talking about it on Twitter. Just give me more things for people to watch and nobody's going to stop watching. I'm not going to no, stop watching the NFL. That's, that's like a tinfoil hat thing in my opinion. Like they're not, they're not, they're not like, oh, yeah, we love the fact that there's controversial calls every week. I, I just think you got to strike the balance between, you know, they tried reviewing pass interference calls and it, it didn't work at all. And so they adapted and got rid of it. And, you know, just as they'll continue to adapt in the future, maybe refine the rules so it's a little more, you know. I just don't know how you can. I, I just don't. Oh, like, I, I, like, I would love it if they just had like a guy in New York that just buzzed down and be like, that's not a foul. Yeah, pick up the flag, that's it. But I don't think they'll do that. I really don't. Because then it'll be like a thing that's like, now we have these puppets that are pretty much just doing for this New York guy. That well, we but the see. problem is the problem is, and the way that it's not like a ro- like a, you know, like a robot ump thing in baseball or the way it is in some of these places. Why? Like, yeah, the guy in New York is going to have more camera angles on it. The guy who you'd want to buzz in, but it's still subjective. You know, like, like a roughing the passer is a subjective call because a lot of it depends on like the severity of the hit and the timing and stuff like that. And it's not like that guy can figure it out in a split second either, even if he has a bunch of screens and angles. So I think that's the biggest problem and why, you know, I do think they have someone in New York that does sort of come in when it's a, was he out or was he down type thing where it's a little more like cut and dry and concrete. But a lot of these calls are very, pass interference is very subjective. You're allowed to touch, not like you can't touch at all, but it's like how much you touch. And a guy in New York, again, would have to be figuring that out on, on the fly just as a ref does. Fair, fair. Okay. The night game from Saturday, Bills demolishing the Patriots 47 to 17. I mean, we spoke about Josh Allen and how amazing he was against the Patriots uh, the last time they met, and he just one-upped it. This was possibly the greatest offensive performance that we've ever seen. When you think about didn't have to punt, didn't throw, didn't sell for field goals, didn't throw any interceptions, didn't turn over, turn the ball over, touchdown after touchdown after touchdown after touchdown all game until they had to knee it out at the end. Uh, what did you think about this game? I thought 
man, I mean, this is when I started to think that it might have been, it might be a bad betting weekend for me when the Pats were my first like high conviction play. And I was like, yeah, like cold weather, Pat's going to keep it close. Belichick. I was like, Oh, they can't duplicate all the stuff that they did when they beat them in Foxborough. Um, and I was, you know, definitely wrong. Um, it, it, you don't even know where to start. I think you have to start with Josh Allen, right? Um, yeah. Just such a threat running the ball and passing it. I mean, the passing stats are unbelievable. You have more touchdowns than incompletions, five touchdowns, four incompletions. Um, but, you know, I actually have to talk about the New England defense as well. I thought if Josh Allen breaks a couple tackles, yeah, I buy it because he's as big as the biggest running backs. He's probably as big as Derek Henry. But um, then when Devin Singletary is breaking tackles, like nobody can take Devin Singletary down all of a sudden. You know, Isaiah McKenzie's getting as many yards as he wants on short passes and running plays. And, and I was really let down by their defense. I thought, you know, Josh Allen, sure, but I just thought the Patriots' defense totally no-showed. And that was the big standout thing for me. I, I thought um, I really expected better from that unit. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, look, the Pats putting up 17 points. I wasn't expecting the offense to you know, go balls to the walls and put up 30-plus or 28-plus against this Buffalo Bills second or defense in general. That's very good with Sean McDermott. But I heard somebody bring up this point. I forget who, but it's just like this This Patriots defense is pretty old. When you go across the board, I mean, there's a couple of guys that are young, like J.C. Jackson, but there's McCourty, Hightower. There's guys all across this defense that are old. And as the season wanes on, it just becomes more and more the toll that you have on them and their legs become a little bit more shot because their older legs, they've played thousands of snaps at this point in the NFL, not only just like in college as well. So when you see that in like this Buffalo Bills offense, young guys, Josh Allen barreling at you six times for 66 yards. And you got Devin Singletary, 16 carries. You got Isaiah McKenzie on those sweeper. You got to worry about him getting to the edge, mixing and matching there. And then, you know, obviously Josh Allen throwing the ball is where he was at his best in this game and the fact is he he this is this is why when we were going throughout the season and maybe they had their struggles in there I still couldn't put this team like too far down and it's the same reason why when we get to the Chiefs you couldn't put this team too far down because no matter what the quarterback position with Josh Allen Patrick Mahomes is so special those guys are so special and such an advantage over really any other team that you have to assume at some point at the biggest stage, those guys are going to step up because that's what those guys do. And on the flip side, you have a guy like Mac Jones. And I'm not going to, this isn't going to be a Mac bashing game because I think it's just, this is what he's been. When he's down, he hasn't been able to to get to really elevate this team and get them back in that hole. And maybe it's because he's a rookie or maybe because, you know, that's just who he is. He's a guy that plays well when he's ahead and he struggles when he's behind him. You need him to carry an offense. That's just, I think, where it came down to. I actually thought I actually thought on the first drive he looked amazing. It's tough, you know. It's tough to it's tough to praise a guy too much who walked away from his first drive. Like it's tough to praise a drive where you walk away throwing an interception. But I actually was impressed. You know, they let up a quick seven, and I was like, okay, let's see what happens here. It looked like it was going to go badly, and then he had a couple like extending the plays. The yeah, the run. I, I think he had a run uh, yeah. towards the right sideline. I was yeah, like, oh, then, he's a little, he's moving a little. And then he had the scramble out and the find. And then I actually, you know, I thought he played with some heart. The, the interception by Hyde, you know, talk about an unbelievable play. You know, it's kind of like Ed Reed-esque on that old play with like Peyton Manning where he runs all the way over and gets it. And I think um, and I think that ended up being worth at least seven points and then maybe even more in momentum because like there's a decent chance Agor catches that if it's not a pick or at least Patriots probably get three out of it. Massive momentum swing. Bills go right down and score again. 
And then you start to think, oh man, like we already know the Patriots aren't the best comeback team. That was an unbelievable play. Um, yeah, it was and- so clean too. When they showed the replay, it's like, okay, he just snatched it, didn't touch anybody. Like it was just a very clean play by Micah Hyde. Yeah, it, it, it was. So, it was a good pass a too. To it. it looks like he was right on the money. It's a great way to put it because the play goes to the ground, and I can't. And I'm watching, and I can't really tell what happened. And next thing you know, like Hyde stands up and is holding the ball, and I'm like, was there a fight for it? I, I sort of, I didn't even register how clean it was and how fast it was right in the moment. It's because he came out of nowhere. You know, these angles, these camera angles, we don't get the whole field, so it just you know, he comes out of nowhere. It's unbelievable. That's my biggest pet peeve with the NFL is that their camera angles are the side view. And I'm just watching linemen block and a quarterback hold the ball. And I can't see anything that's going on down the field. Yeah. I I have something on that too, but I'll save it for when we talk Eagles game, but just a couple more things on this. First of all, I have a nickname idea for Devin Singletary. You want to hear it? Yeah. Let me hear Devin double Terry. What? Because he's like twice as much, you know, he's Singletary, but then when he has to win like that, he's Devin double Terry. Oh my God. Yeah, it's like it's like you know, it's like he leveled up. You know, in the future, he could be Devin Triple Terry, yeah, and so yeah. on and so on. Okay. But, but seriously, you know, the crazy thing about him and why he became Devin Double Terry in my eyes is because, like, even he he would run the ball, and maybe this says more about the Pats' defense, but he would run the ball. He'd get like you know swarmed two yards past the line of scrimmage, and I'm like, oh, he's definitely going down here. He's not even that big. And next thing you know, it's a nine-yard carry, and that happened over and over and over again, and that's when I realized the Patriots had no chance. It wasn't the Josh Allen runs, although he shook Judon on that one play early in the game. Mm-hmm. But, again, you know Josh Allen's going to do that. But then Singletary's dragging guys five extra yards, so there's no way the Pats are going to win this. I mean, they, they, like – when you think about this Bills defense or Bills offense, it's been the lack of a running game. And maybe they just held off on using Josh Allen more so, obviously, or not obviously, but like in the bigger games, we had seen him take over with his running game, whether it was when he played the Pats, whether you when he played the Bucks later in the season when they played, you know, a higher profile. I days. agree. I do think they were saving him. And I think that's smart because, like, look, Josh Allen's built different than Kyler Murray, but you know, also they protected Josh Allen early season better than the Cardinals did with Kyler Murray. So for both of those reasons, that's why Josh Allen can be at his best right now. We'll see later with Kyler Murray. I I mean, if he plays like he did, it just seems unstoppable with this offense because of what he provides, not only, you know, throwing the ball where, you know, four four incompletions, five touchdowns, but running the ball where he's the 6'5", 230-pound running back coming at you, and he's shifty. I mean, like you said, Matthew Judon, he was able to juke him out and get an extra 15 yards on that on that scramble or in general, just, you know, buying time in the pocket, like similar to, you know, how we saw Joe Burrow on that touchdown pass when, you know, the controversial whistle like that. He does those similar type things. And he did that when he found Dawson Knox for that first touchdown where he bought time to the right and was able to find a guy. I mean, great catch by Dawson Knox on that one. But when you think about those things, they have the weapons on the outside. They have a very, I think, very complimentary group of pass catchers, whether it's Stefan Diggs, whether it's Emmanuel Sanders, whether it's Cole Beasley, whether it's Dawson Knox, whether it's Gabe Davis. I think they have a lot of guys that complement each other pretty well. And look at, look at how, look at how evenly distributed that is, you know, Knox, obviously five catches, 90 yards, two touchdowns, but Diggs three for 60, McKenzie three for 45, Davis two for 41, Sanders two for 36, Beasley one for 19, very, you know, spread out. And again, those stats aren't amazing, but you got to remember Allen only threw 25 passes. Mm-hmm. So, the and, and this is on. where I'll, I'll give some, you know, a little bit of leeway with Mac, because when you look at who he has throwing the ball, it's, it's not like he's got world beaters there. 
And that's where that's what the Eagle, that's what the Patriots need to address this offseason is getting some playmakers on the outside, getting some guys, some younger legs on that defensive, on that defense. Um, you know, that, that can withstand the toll on an entire season that, you know, I think some of the older guys weren't able to do as the season waned on because we saw this defense sort of drop off at over the back half of the season. Because like I said, when we previewed this game, what was it? They had let up 28 plus in, I believe, one, two, in three of the past, or 27 plus in three of the last four games. And the only team that didn't was the Jacksonville Jaguars. So getting fresher legs there, getting some playmakers on the outside, I think will bode well, and especially because you don't have a quarterback that's like a Josh Allen, where if everything's not set there, he can't make something happen with his legs. It's it's funny because I'm looking through this box score now, and I'm just kicking myself. Like, what was I thinking? Loving New England so much. You just look at the talent discrepancy, and and you know, you know, I, I did love the defense. You know, J.C. Jackson was in my running of, for defensive player of the year. Probably not a winner, but a top three to five guy. He got mm-hmm. exposed by Diggs. Not saying he's bad now, but it was a tough game. He didn't get him exposed. I, I wouldn't say it's not like Diggs went for one, like one forty or whatever. Yeah, no, that's true. That is true. Um, no, but like in in general, you know, the defense as a whole, I don't think you can put it on one specific guy. It's just as a whole, the defense needed to play better, and they didn't. And that's also on Bill Belichick because no, you know, definitely. Well, you know, the other thing is like early in the game when Josh Allen shook Judon, I'm like, well, who's even the guy? Did you try to put like McCourty to follow around Josh Josh Allen all game because because Hightower's too slow. Van Noy couldn't tackle him one time. I'm like running out of guys that I think can follow him around and do that job that you need done to have like a spy, have like a personal guy with him all the time. Just wasn't possible. No, and it's also, you know, this will be a nice transition into the Eagles Bucks game, but this is a guy where even if you have a QB spy on him, yeah, you could try and do a Judon or one of those guys, but then you're leaving yourself susceptible to the passing game if you want to rush four guys. If you're going to rush three, you're just going to let him sit back there. At some point, one of these talented pass catchers is going to come open and he's going to find them. And then when you go to the Eagles game, like one of them that I thought about was, um, well, Jalen was like looking for somebody. They had only rushed three guys. He had a clean pocket, and, and then he tried to bail. And Joe Tryon, their rookie uh, first rounder, came out, and he was able to bat the pass down. He's able to make things difficult on on Jalen Hurts there. That's where you know you can put somebody there. And I just think the Eagle or the Bucks second Bucks defense as a whole is just faster. But it's also Josh Allen's just so lethal with his arm now that you can't really just you can't afford to have one guy sit back there unless you're only going to rush three. But then at that point, I feel like they have too many good pass catchers there to, you know, let only three guys rush. Yeah. So when I said earlier that I was, you know, the thing about the camera angle and how Mm -hmm. you don't see enough of the field. Yeah. um, That's something that I would have loved to see in this Eagles bucks game, because it felt like Brady could always find a guy really early. And before you want to rip Jalen, you just want to confirm were the receivers open or were the Bucks just so great in coverage. But I think, you know, with Brady, it was really just a masterclass in like quarterback difference, frankly, you know, watching the two of them because, you know, a guy runs a route on the Bucks, and by the time he turns around on like a, on a hook route, it's already halfway there. But then for Jalen, it feels like the guy turns around, then he sees it, then he throws it. And that half second to full second is just such a massive difference. And and, and I, I think that's what happened, but I guess you can never know until you see some of the down the field stuff. But I, I just thought, you know, even on that double move by Devonta, and then he ends up throwing the pick, um, Devonta Smith, and then he ends up throwing the pick, you know, it's got to be there a little bit sooner. On all these Bucks routes, it's always right there. You know, a lot of people hate Brady 
and because it's like, oh, he throws checkdowns, but man, he just, he knows the right thing to do. He does it with the right timing, with the right accuracy every single time. He seems to get better in playoffs. Like, um, and he's just, there's, there's a reason that he's still killing it like he is right now at this age. And, and it's a lot of that's, you know, a lot of that's like mental and decision-making and, you know, maybe not the crazy highlight plays, but just so consistent. He does it the right way. So this one was a little tough when I'm trying to gauge my thoughts on it, because in one aspect, like I don't expect them to go away from the run game because that's who the Eagles were. And I would, it would be weird if they were just like, okay, we're going to drop back. We're going to try and do what Brady does in order to beat this defense. Cause I think when you think about the Bucks defense, the strength or the weakness for them is you attack them down the field. We had seen the, the Rams do it early in the season. We have seen the, but we've seen the chiefs do it. And obviously I'm not trying to compare Jalen hurts to Matthew Stafford or Patrick Mahomes here, but I feel like that's where you find success. And really all of the Eagles offense was run game or behind the line of scrimmage, like, you know, bubble screen, screen passes, all of that. And I feel like that plays right into the hand of the Buccaneers because they're so fast. They have two linebackers that go sideline to sideline so well. They have attacking safeties that were just coming down and playing pretty much in the box there and letting you and pretty much leaving you susceptible to those deep passes. And that's where I, I was a little... I was a little skeptical or just a little annoyed at the, the, the whole game plan for it. But then you obviously have the moments where, you know, they're rushing three guys, they have this spy on Jalen and, you know, they're holding up well, the offensive line and you got Quez Watkins running free pretty much uh, going from left to right down the field and Jalen bails on the pocket rolls to the left and never sees him. So I think it's just a given pull, give and take there because obviously Jalen's not developed enough as a passer. And I think everybody can say that it's his ability to play make there. But I felt like there was too many times where they let themselves get behind the line of scrimmage or behind the change or behind the sticks because they were doing so many things behind the line of scrimmage, whether it was a screen pass, whether it was a bubble screen, whether it was just, you know, trying to get players out in space early where it plays right into what the Bucks do well. Well, the Bucks were playing high up the whole game or low, you know, they were playing, they were not playing for deep balls defensively. And why would they? There was never a reason not to, because the Eagles want to run. They want to throw short passes. I mean, you have to think that Jalen didn't throw a ball with air yards of more than 15 yards, more than two or three times, maybe mm -hmm. four, right? And, and you'd think like, oh, you need to call more deep pass plays. That's one thing you could say. But at the same time, you know, they see Jalen every week in practice. You'd think that if he was capable of doing a ton of deep passes every game, then they would call it. So I think that's kind of a double-edged sword of who you want to blame, whether it be Jalen or the play calling, probably a little bit of both. And then the problem is, and the, and the Pats had this problem too, is that when these teams, you want to run first, but then the other team gets the ball first and they go and get a touchdown, you're already down seven. It's already getting a little dangerous, you know, for a run first team. And that's just, you know, it's a big statement that a team can make against a run first team is just to put put seven on the first drive. You know, it's good against anybody, obviously, but it really I feel like it kills a lot of those run first teams, especially in a game that might end up being low scoring. Um, and also, I hope they don't criticize the Pat or sorry, don't criticize the Bucks for letting the Eagles like quote unquote get back into it. That game was over, thirty one nothing. No reason yeah. to show any of your good plays. No reason to do anything crazy the game was over in the middle of the third. 
Yeah, I was hoping, you know, I, I teased the like you were talking about the the patch where like the one where you're like, I can't believe I talked myself into the patch, like you were feeling yeah. so like I, I was feeling good about the Eagles going into that one. And you know, after the first drive where Brady's going down and he scores, especially like I teased them up to like 13 with the with the under, I think, or with the over. I forget. But either way, it, I would have hit on the total. Yeah, but it was just I thought that, you know. I thought that the I thought they would give a better fight there. And the fact is, you know, similar to how we were talking about with like Georgia and Michigan, like Georgia, that defense, that Michigan offense is what Georgia had been dominating all season. This is the type of offense, the Eagles offense, is what the Bucks have been dominating for their entire yeah. span, the, the entire stretch. And when That's I saw fun. the first drive where I'm like, because for me, the main hesitation was will that offense be able to put up enough points? I thought the Eagles would do a much better job at stopping the Bucks offense from putting up points consistently. But the first drive, I mean, the first play, Keyshawn Vaughn, one of the first plays, Keyshawn Vaughn runs for 15 yards pretty much through the entire. That was literally the first play. That was literally the first play. Yeah, runs right through the heart of that Philadelphia Eagles defensive line and the defense as a whole. And I'm like, oh, my God, okay, we're not we're not looking good here because, you know, that's Eagles are really good stopping the run. Fletcher Cox in the middle has been amazing for five, six, seven years or whatever. And when Keyshawn Vaughn on the first play is doing that and then the first drive, Brady's going down and scoring a touchdown here, I'm like, okay, I, I feel like I'm in trouble right now. Yeah, I think it just goes back to the fact that the Eagles were incapable of beating any good teams. You know, own six against playoff teams, own seven when you add in the Chargers, as I've been doing, because I think they kind of deserve that distinction. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess one and seven, if you want to include the Saints as well. But I think we would all agree that the Chargers were on a higher level than the Saints all year, especially with no Jameis. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the Eagles were just not ready for this. And honestly, I feel like kind of an idiot being a Bucks guy all year and then flipping to the Cowboys, who we'll get to in a sec. But then now, like I watched the Bucks, and I was like, oh, this team can still win. You know, honestly, I maybe it was just because they look so good against the Eagles, and it's an overreaction. But like. I'm watching Johnson and I'm watching Scotty Miller and I'm like, these guys actually can do the Antonio Brown, Chris Godwin slot role. Yeah. They're not going to make like amazing plays, but Brady makes such accurate throws. They can catch and run. These are the type. And that's the type of guy that Brady's always had success with those like slot guys. Like, you know, Scotty Miller is going to end up playing well, you know, um, you know, like Johnson or Perriman or, you know, whoever else is going to end up just filling that role and being fine. So I actually feel really good about them. Um, I think they really kind of lucked out with the Niners winning and now it's how it's going to shake out with whether it be the Rams or the Cardinals that they're going to play next week. And I'm back to being pretty high on them. I'm not as high, especially when you take into effect that, you know, we got to see what deal, what happens with Tristan Wirfs because he's been a staple on that offensive line. And Jensen. Well, Jensen played, yeah, I'm pretty sure Jensen played the rest of that game. Oh, okay. So, but like Tristan Wirfs, that's an, this is an all pro first team player. Um, I'm trying to check the, the Ryan Jensen stuff right now. I'm pre- I'm 90% sure he came well, back. Well, and then Werfs came out, and it looked pretty bad. And then he was, like, back in, and it was like, oh, this is weird. He lasted off two plays. In the exactly. Place that and in, that's a guy that's first-team team. all-pro right now as a right tackle and has been a staple on that team since he was drafted last year. So that leads me to some hesitation there. And then I feel like it's just this overblown thing where it's – or not an overblown, but I just feel like – I'd be careful and weary about backing or going right back into backing the Bucks at this point because they beat up on an Eagles team, like you said, that hasn't done well against good teams. They've let up an average of 33 points per game against playoff teams in the regular season. And now you're going up against, I mean, they should, they'll be rooting. I'm sure if you're a Bucks fan, you should be rooting for the Cardinals to win uh, tonight against the Rams because I think if it's the Rams winning, I think you're in really big trouble because I would so take then- the Rams consistently or considerably over the Bucks. 
Okay, so but but would you feel comfortable saying what you just said about the Bucks? And I agree, it's a good point. Like you don't want to just say, oh, they looked amazing against the Eagles; they can compete with anybody now. Mm-hmm. Um, but would you be willing to say the same thing about the Bills? Bills, um, you know, I, in the sense yeah. that, like, oh, you don't want to overreact and say, oh, this is like them and the Chiefs are the clear top two AFC teams and and all that stuff, you know, because you could say a lot of the stuff about the about the Pats that you said about the Eagles. No, that's fair. I just think that the thing that's holding me back from the Bucks is health wise. With the Bills, mm-hmm. it's never really been that. I mean, the one thing that does scare me and why, like, I'm leaning towards as we're thinking about it now, or as I think ahead to the Chiefs matchup. And why I like the Chiefs is the missing missing a Tredavious White, where I didn't think that was a big thing when you play against the Pats because they don't have the guys there. And that's why I thought, like, you know, the Bills matched up very well against the Pats because they have two safeties that can guard up against Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry really well and Micah High and Jordan Poyer. But and when they don't have Tredavious White, it's not like you're really worried about Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne and those guys killing you. And then when you go up against the Chiefs, it's Tyree Kill and, you know, Travis Kelsey and all those guys. When it comes to the Bucks, it's health-wise, I don't have two guys. Like Tyler Johnson and Scotty Miller can do fine, but we saw a couple times there where Tyler Johnson and, you know, and Tom Brady weren't on the same page because Tyler Johnson could feel, could feel coverage on the back end and he would slow down a little bit. Brady wasn't anticipating that. I, I, I'm weary about them because health-wise, it's not like anything's changing. With the Bills, it was about, you know, them getting the rhythm, seeing them continue to stack these performances against – quality opponents i think that's where the difference is i think that's fair all right so let's go to um let's go to niners cowboys and mm-hmm. this was my second or honestly highest conviction play of the week the cowboys i absolutely loved them going into this game i thought they would win for sure um and they really just did not show up from the very start um this game ended up being close and we'll get to that in a moment but i, I think first of all i just bit of a no-show from the Cowboys and I just they were really stifled by the Niners defense and then at the same time you know the Niners just came ready to play yeah I mean (laughs) it was from the onset (laughs) this team was biting themselves or shooting themselves in the foot time after time with the penalties and it was consistent where the broadcast would bring up this team is the most penalized team in in the whole league whether it's penalties penalty yardage all of this and they consistently and that's, again, similar to how I was ripping Zach Taylor. That's on the coaching. That's on Mike McCarthy. That's on Kellen Moore. That's on Dan Quinn. All of these guys. And I get they're in, like, an attacking defense that likes to be aggressive or, an att- like, in general, just an aggressive team. But that's where, you know, disciplined teams like the Niners and disciplined teams like you'll see later in the playoffs, those teams will take advantage of it. When you give them those free plays, when you give them those free yardages to put them into more advantageous positions, if it's instead of first and 10, it's a first and five, or instead of you having a first and 10, it's a first and 20, that's where the difference comes in. Because especially with this 49ers team where they were able to get after the quarterback consistently, even without Nick Bosa for most of the game, they were still able to get after it with, you know, just a bunch of guys there. And, you know, props to the secondary, because like you I like the Cowboys. I thought I was hearing so many people that like the Niners. And I think it was really just all the TV people that were saying that because I feel like most of the people in like most of the public was on the Cowboys because it's the Cowboys. But I really thought that, you know, Dallas would be able to attack the secondary and do something there, but they weren't, they weren't, they put themselves behind the sticks. This, this strong defensive line was able to get after the pass rusher. And at some point you have to look at, this, this, is an ab- this is an abject failure for this team. This is, I mean, the only other team that could look at it as more of a failure is if the Rams lose tonight. 
that's yep. uh, that's barn like that's the only team that could be looked at as more of a failure if they had actually lost this weekend. Well, or and maybe the Colts for not even making the playoffs. No, Colts fair. Are, I, I wouldn't. Dalton. Yeah, we talked about it last time. I didn't think that was, the whole season was an abject failure. Like, yeah, you give up a first rounder. No, that's fair. I just didn't think everything was riding on them to do something this playoffs well, while the Cowboys did. I mean, the Cowboys have been given a gift of this NFC East being terrible the past couple of years. You know, Dak got hurt the year prior, but um, man, it just you know, it, it seems like this Cowboys team has been pretty good for a while, but they only have one playoff win in a long time. They, they won a game in 2019, which was funny because I hardly even remembered that game. And I guess that goes to show, you know, how memorable this team's been in the playoffs recently. Um, yeah, I think it was a really bad season given the fact that they should have been, man, just go out in the first round. I just can't believe it. I can't believe it for a team that I thought was very talented. But, you know, you want to bet on teams that get hot at the right time. And the Niners were undeniably in better form than the Cowboys. I've been saying you definitely want to play the Niners the least of not only the Eagles, but also the Cardinals. The Niners are better than the Cardinals right now. Um, Apparently they're better than the Cowboys right now as well. So, I, I think, yeah, the Cowboys just kind of stopped showing up in the latter half of the season. You get absolutely nothing from Zeke. You know, it's, t- it's tough when you lose a game and you look at the box score and it's like, yeah, 12 carries for 30 yards. It's pretty hard to win a game when that's how you run the ball. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the main takeaways I had from the entire weekend was the right teams won. The better teams in every matchup won the game. I well, know only one I, dog won. Yeah, but like I, but, and this was the dog. And this yeah. is the team that that deserved to win that game. The Cowboys did not deserve to win that game at all. Every team that ended up winning their game deserved to win it over the other team. Well, well, if you think about it, there there were so there were five games and three of them were blowouts, and two of them were close, but they weren't your classic close game. It was more like, oh my God, is this team about to pull off a frantic comeback? You never really thought that the Raiders were going to win that game until they were, you know, until they had first and goal down seven. You never thought the Cowboys were going to win that game until they, um, you know, had a couple things go their way and the pick and the fake punt and all that stuff. I was freaking out when they were lining up for the Yeah, so we got, we, there, there are a bunch of talking points within this game that I think we should hit on. So yeah, let's talk about it because we talked about we, – we texted, I think, on after – like shortly after the fake punt where, you know, they, they're backed up. They're, it looks like – I mean, I was a little bit questioning the punt call that they had. So questionable. I thought – you know what I was thinking – you know that you know that Twitter account that's like it's like the NFL surrender index. Yeah, I would I would have been really curious. You know I don't follow it, but I, you see it come up from time to time, and I'd be really curious to see what they would have said had the Cowboys punted there. I'd be hard pressed to believe that it wouldn't have been in you know the ninety fifth and upper percentile. I just thought it was unbelievable that they would line up for that. I was freaking out yelling at the TV. Sure enough, I was proven right that I was like, this is insane, right? You know, when they faked the punt and converted a little bit of discredit to the Niners, like, hello, you know, wake up, like pay attention. That's that should happen on a, on a punt that they had no business taking. You're just so willing to believe them. It was almost like a Trojan horse punt situation that they fell for it. But um, yeah, I thought you had to go for that one. I mean, it was really just one guy that didn't know his assignment, and it ended up being the guy that was the difference on that converting. Actually, like the, the the guy that was supposed to cover the you know the the guy that ended up catching the pass. I mean, it was fourth and five, 14 minutes left. You're down yeah, no, but, sixteen. But on a typical punt, they just sprint back. Yeah, but. In that situation, you have to know to play some coverage. Yeah, no, well, that's where you looked at the, the at the line. Nobody was even rushing the kicker because they were like, oh, the punter, because they knew 
I, I don't care about running, like blocking this punt. We want to worry about keeping everything in front mm. of us. And that mm. there was one dude that just decided to bail and that ended up biting him in the ass for a second, for a second, because then one of the most just questionable things I have seen all season were them right after that lining up to then, I guess, try and force the Niners into like taking a timeout, doing the quick change, obviously, but it was just, what are you doing? What are you doing? This isn't a close game. This isn't like you don't have room for error with this. And instead, you get a delay a game in a first and 15, and it completely derails any momentum you have after that huge fake punt and then sets you up to then settle for a field goal that makes it that cuts it from 16 to 13, which I didn't think was egregious, but it's like I know anybody that's in analytics is like, yeah, you just made it a two possession game into a two possession game. So I, I could see it from both angles. I'm just more annoyed, and it's more so about the fact that you let a delay a game happen without, yeah. knowing, I guess, knowing the rules that clearly that the like I even knew that like they have to stop the game. They have to let the defense be able to make any changes because you just shifted off the entire everybody that was on the field went off. Yeah, I and uh, no, I, I agree with you. Um, they really did just keep shooting themselves in the foot as we sort of talk through all the stuff that happened, and obviously we'll get to the end of play stuff in a minute, but. I um as far as the kicking the field goal goes, I actually kind of like that one. You know, to get both two point conversions is tough. They're actually in a position to win in regulation, um, and they should have had the ball back sooner. But you know, it's always a it's a defensive hold. It's a offsides delay a game. Just so many mistakes made by uh, made by this Cowboys team. It was really, made it really difficult for them. 14 penalties for 89 yards in this game. I mean, and, and, we, and it really felt like it. It really felt like it. Because they all just felt massive. It all just felt like, oh, we had a good play. We're, we're going somewhere. Like, we're moving ourselves. And, like, that led, that lends itself to, you know, why should the Niners have to play up? Just keep everything in front of you. At some point, this team's going to shoot themselves in the foot. At some point, they were going to have a penalty that would put them behind the sticks. And then it would force them into, you know, being either too aggressive where it would be an interception or a sack or whatnot. Or they just wouldn't pick up the first down. They'd have to punt. Well, it's exactly what happened when they played the Raiders in the regular season. You know, I, I think we all walked away from that game saying the Cowboys were the better team, but man, they really shot themselves in the foot there. Mm-hmm. And, and the exact same thing happened here. And, and I think um, a lot of times when I see a team get a lot of flags in one game, I'm willing to sort of dismiss it. But then when you see it happen multiple times in the same season, you know that that's the difference between it just being a bad day at the office and an undisciplined team. So this game actually ended up being closer than I, I think we thought you would have thought it was. And that was a little bit on, you know, Kyle Shanahan just just making things just I feel like a little bit more difficult on himself. I mean, the one the one like decision that was the most frustrating for me was the fourth and one um, that they had. I'm trying to find the exact point in the game when, when they when they punted. Right. Yeah. Yeah. OK, yeah, so I, I, and it's funny. It's funny while you look that up because I remember a situation when they were playing the Titans on Thursday night football where it was fourth and one and then they got a delay of game and then they still went for it. And it made no sense in the moment. And then to see them punt in that conservative, you know, so conservatively there after the fourth and one thing with the with the delay, it just sort of if you're going to do something like like Staley, who I don't like, but if you're going to do it that way, man, we should do it the whole season. Don't sort of flip flop. In, in ways that don't really make sense, like go for a fourth and six, but but punt a fourth and one. That makes no sense at all. Yeah, so the, the situation, fourth and one at the Dallas 49, so you're right 
over the fifth over midfield with 251 left. You are up by six. You're, you got to go for that. You got to go. For offense that. has your offense has been moving the ball, especially on the ground all day against this Dallas Cowboys defense. Dallas has started to get some momentum. Fred Warner, your best defensive player, still on the field at that point because Nick Bosa is out for the game, just hobbled off the field that the possession from before when the Cowboys scored the touchdown. You don't assume that he'll be back out there. Why would you not run it? Because it's one yard and then you salt away even more of the clock. Like, don't you don't even give the Cowboys really a chance at that point to actually, you know, have that last second chance. But instead they punt, which that that was for me the most egregious decision. Whether it was Mike McCarthy kicking a field goal, whether it was him punting, whether it was whatever, whatever he did, that was the most egregious call of the night and one that well, I had the most, you know, issue with. Yeah, but, but you, know, and, you know, on that topic, it's not like the Niners were mistake-free. You think about the roughing the punter, which yeah. was terrible. You think we about just don't, you just don't remember because the Cowboys weren't able to to uh, take advantage of it. Well, and, and honestly, this is how the Cowboys got back in the game. There was the roughing the punter. There was the Jimmy G pick, which I knew he was due for. I was on Jimmy G pick. It was like minus 150. Mm-hmm. You knew that one was coming. I mean, he actually had a terrible game, for being honest. 16 to 25, 172, one pick, no touchdowns. I know he's asked to do less, but, like, let's pump the brakes on the – Oh, Jimmy G actually is the franchise guy. You know, th- this is who we thought they were when healthy-ish. A good team with quarterback, you know, deficiencies that has inventive run schemes and and a good defense, and that's how they beat you. And that's exactly what happened today. It wasn't some Jimmy G masterclass. Um, but then, yeah, I thought they made. It. And then also on the fourth and one or fourth and inches, rather, when they did decide to go for it, they do the weird, you know, offensive line moves positions and get called for the delay of game or sorry the. Uh, false start because he wasn't set yet um so it's not like the Niners were mistake free it just uh, maybe it pales in comparison to the Cowboys and because they won the game you, you sort of forget about it yeah I think it's more so the, the latter of that they won the yeah. game the Cowboys didn't capitalize on any of the mistakes that they had when it's the Cowboys it was just like throughout the, it wasn't like a you know these pick and choose points like you said the punt the punt was in like the first or second quarter the Cowboys didn't end up scoring on, on that even though they got the extra position they ended up punting and then the, the one with the false start, it's like, you know, the Cowboys got the ball back, didn't end up doing anything with it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, but then, so now let's talk about the Cowboys' final drive. Yeah. And I actually thought I loved, the, I loved the first play they came out with, the hook and ladder to CD. Yeah. I thought that was really creative and a great way to pick up 20 yards. But then they sort of fell in love with the, let's keep taking eight yards for four seconds. Let's trade eight yards for four seconds. They did that two or three times over. And then I'm thinking, I'm thinking okay, you're on the 40 with about, you know, 12, 14 seconds left. And we're getting one or two. We're getting two end zone shots, probably. And you'd say three, but remember, it's from the 40, so they have to run down all that way. So you got to run each play in six seconds or less. And that's pretty tough to get all the way down to the 40. Ball travels in the air, all that stuff, you know, falls to the ground. It's tough because even if you do the 40-yard dash math, you know, there's a little more to it in a play. Um, and I just thought, and then they come out with the running play, and it was just all-time questionable. You know, I wanted the Cowboys to win. Like I said, it was a high-conviction play. And my initial instinct is like, yo, like, what are you doing, ref? Like, like you know, you're, you're screwing them over. You're running into them. But the truth is, like, you got to give the ball to the ref. You don't get to spot it yourself. The play call made no sense. Um, yeah, just unbelievable ending to a game and, a you know, a classic Cowboys playoff loss. It really is. I saw Phil Sims uh, or Chris Sims tweet out that uh, he's worked with a few coaches and all this. So, and obviously an ex-NFL uh, quarterback, he has some uh, – 
some experience with this. He says, normally, if you're going to choose something like that, you need to give yourself like 17, 18 seconds on the clock. So if you see, and it was 14 seconds on the clock, if you know that, that that's the case, you have to have that sort of like stuff in mind when you think about that. Um, and they didn't. And that's again, just sloppiness, ill-prepared and just kind of just winging at that point. And we could see the Niners. I mean, from the, from the get-go, their first drive, clean, crisp, everything like just super, super like buttoned up and the Cowboys were the opposite of that. And that's what led to their downfall here from to the very end, because they didn't understand the situation. They weren't prepared for it. And they tried to just, they, they felt like their personnel would just overmatch the overmatch the 49ers. And it won't, it doesn't do that in the playoffs. And that just seems like to be the case time and time again with the Cowboys. And that's why, despite all the talent that they have on their team and the immense like players that you think about, like, who you would want on their team, they still haven't been able to find any success. Yeah, you know, what do you what do you think about um like the McCarthy and Kellen Moore stuff? You know, I was just thinking about it. Like I would not be in a rush to hire Kellen Moore. I actually think yeah, the reason I guess I started thinking about all this is because if I'm the Raiders, I actually probably keep Basaccia and I try to surround him with with elite coordinators, you know interesting prospects and give them sort of the play calling duty. You sort of try to follow like the Ed Orgeron LSU route where like he's the head coach, but then you have Brady and you have a DC and all that stuff. And I don't know if I would hire Kellen Moore as a coach. And I just thought um, whether it was his play calling or McCarthy's from what I understand, the last play was a bit of both of them, the way the Cowboys offense fell apart in the latter half of the season, you know, I'm not, I'm not in love with either McCarthy or Kellen Moore as a head coach at this time. Okay, so I'll, I'll do both of these. First, I'll talk about Kellen Moore, then the Basaccia part of it. The Kellen Moore part of it is, yeah, I don't think you can anybody should be in any rush to hire this guy because what what team has more talent than what he'd be leaving? And you're seeing what this offense was able to do over the back half of the season. There's nothing there that should leave you optimistic that he will be able to turn around your team. And obviously, one game isn't it doesn't set that in stone, but even over the back half of the season, the offense has struggled outside of a few games, whether it was against the Eagles or against the football team when they put up 50 plus, but like, look at those teams, look at what the Eagles do against playoff teams. They let up 33 points per game. The football team, football team just kind of spiraled out in that game. It kind of just snowballed into that type of thing. It wasn't like a definitive thing where time, like nine out of 10 times they're putting up 30 or 40 plus against that team. And as for the Basaccia part of it, look, I'm not running to hire Kellen Moore over him, but I'm not doing the Ed Ogeron thing because you see how, how much that can just, you know, spiral out as we've seen well, at LSU. Well, you know, the, pro- the problem is that the coordinator leaves exactly to take a job and then that guy kind of gets exposed. No, that's very, very true. But I do think like, you know, there's something that I like about, look, in a perfect world, you get a guy who has the leadership quality, the steady hand and the play calling prowess. But I do think there's an angle for a guy who maybe doesn't have the play calling stuff, but he has the like person ability as well as the sort of like, you know, decision making under pressure that I think, you know, in my opinion, like, you know, a guy like Staley might have lacked or a guy like Kellen Moore might lack in making a decision like that, that, you know, if you, you know, you can't get the perfect co- coach, then you can try to sort of fill it and then use the coordinators to fill in the gaps. Of course, like you say, the problem comes when those guys leave and they get exposed. So first thing, there is no Brandon Staley slander on this podcast. <laughs> From you, yeah, from you. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but like you look at like a John Harbaugh, a John Harbaugh. That's what he, he's a guy that game management wise, he's very good. He doesn't do any of the the play calling either offensive or defensively. He's a special yeah. teams guy. That's why I kind of like Joe Judge. But Joe Judge doesn't handle the the in game decision making that I believe that you, if you're going to be if you're going to be hands off 
when it comes to offensive and defensive play calling, you need to be an A plus there. And I don't necessarily I think Bisaccia say Bisaccia is special not teams that. as well. Just to cut you off, real quick, I'm pretty yeah. sure he was special teams. Yeah. So look, I don't, I'm not against the special teams guy and those that mold, but you better be an A plus there. And I'm not sure Bisaccia is there. I'm not saying he's not, but that's where if you're going to do that, the guy needs to be an A plus when it comes to fourth down decision making and and game management and all of that because he's not adding anything to the offense and defensive play calling. Well, I guess I guess for the Bisaccia thing, I'm just thinking like you know you try to keep some stability around and and things like that i personally you know this is a little bit off topic but i don't know what the odds would be that bisaccio would be the coach week one for the raiders but if they were you know 50 50 or worse in terms of odds so you know like minus 110 or better probably take it i I don't think that's a bad idea because i think i feel like they're gonna make some big swings at like a jim harbaugh and if they swing and miss there, then I think they could be like, okay, we'll go with him for like a year and we'll, we'll figure it out the, the stability there. Uh, yeah. There's something, there's something to be said for trying to keep consistency for a team that hasn't made the playoffs a lot and had all the turmoil in the regular season and just say, we made the playoffs with this guy, the players seem to like him. We'll just run it back. Exactly. So with Mike McCarthy, do you think right. that the Cowboys should make the change? Cowboys are going to do something. I think we all know that it's not going to be get a new quarterback. Um, you, do you cut Zeke? I don't know. I always thought Jared Jones really liked him. So and also the um, dead cap, I think, is like sixteen million next year. Yes. Wow. So um. So that's probably not an option. Um. Yeah, that contract is crazy, man. Because you see, like you saw Chubb and Henry, you know, frankly, better players get lesser deals. Yeah, that's where it's like I'm not against paying the running back. I'm against paying them the exorbitant amount. Like if I can get Nick Chubb or Derrick Henry for like twelve, like I can stomach that. I'd rather not. Rather pay like a guy for like eight. Yeah. But, like, if I can stomach that, then that's fine there. And especially Zeke, because it's just – he doesn't have the big playability that he used to have. And that's where, like, I hate those types of running backs where you're banking on them to getting four or five yards. That's why I'm not a big Najee Harris guy, because he's not a guy that's breaking it off for 40-yard touchdown run. I mean, he did against the Browns, but that's because everybody was stuck to the to the, well, to the goal, uh, to the the line of scrimmage trying to stuff him, stuff him at the line of scrimmage. Well, it's tough. It's tough. You want a guy that does everything because on the other end of the spectrum, you end up with a guy like Saquon, who we've talked about in the past, who's a home run hitter only. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, you want a guy who can do a little bit of both. No, that's very um, fair. And that's where, yeah. you know, Jonathan Taylor, I got a stat here from, uh, from Mike Renner of PFF relating it to, you know, Jonathan Taylor. And this is a Debo Samuel thing. If you took Debo Samuel's rushing efficiency numbers and and took them over Jonathan Taylor's workload for the season, he would have 2,100 yards, 43 touchdowns, and 111 broken tackles. Well, you know, we actually should talk about the Debo thing a little bit. So I have two names for you of receivers that I think could do, you know, a lot of what Debo's doing. Um, Jamar Chase, for one. I thought, you know, the Bengals gave him some pitches in the game against Mm -hmm. the Raiders, and he looked good. And Tyreek Hill for the second. I think both of these guys in Debo Samuel packages could do a lot of damage. No, they can. I don't think they can. I don't think they can do the between the tackles kind of stuff. But if you get them on the edges, I think they can do similar type of thing with their. You know, what, what about Jamar Chase on the between the tackle stuff? I think he can do. I think he can do maybe like 70 percent of that. I don't think I think Debo Samuel's the one the you know, the elite class. He is the he's in a tier above himself so, when it comes to running between the tackles. So what is it? So what is it that he does? Is it a strength thing or a vision thing? I think it's both. I think he is so uh, he's I think he's bulkier than Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase isn't slim. 
by any means. Well, he's a big dude. I see yeah. bodies guys out there. No, I I agree. I just think, yeah, yeah vision-wise, and he's just a little bit bulkier than them. I think both those play hand-in-hand hand with him just being, you know, the class when it comes to wide receivers being running backs. And it's weird that we're talking about this because it's never been, like, a topic of discussion, really, when I think about yeah, just any it, NFL season. But it's a great way to get these guys. It works every single time. No, I agree. I agree. I mean, that touchdown run – I mean, time and time again in that Cowboys game, we saw him just pick apart this Dallas Cowboys defense – either on the edges when he had that touchdown run or through the middle where it would just seem like he was just fighting for an extra five or six yards. I mean, he was the one that set them up for that fourth and one um, to end the game where it felt yeah, like almost they, they had it. him stuffed. They, they, they thought they had it at first and they almost iced it. Now, I just think, I think, and I'm not going to be the only person to hear talk about this because when something new comes up, other teams are going to try to replicate it. Like, you know, when Patrick Mahomes came and, and people – you know, everyone's trying to find the next Mahomes, and there's a lot of guys now that sort of try to replicate that. And you're going to see that with Debo Samuel in the league. You know, a lot of teams are going to implement receiver run packages now. I think it's a really sort of unique thing, and that is something that you have to give credit to a guy like Shanahan for, even when we rip him. Is like the run stuff is really creative. It was interesting how in their Super Bowl run they made it work with so many different running backs, and it seemed like they would all have success, but maybe they were all offering different things. The Debo thing is really unique. I still feel like, you know, like for me, this is the best place to be a running back. Like mm -hmm. if I'm just a general NFL running back and they're like, where do you want to go? It's got to be San Francisco because it seems like everybody has success there. And, the, and you know, it must be something that he does right. Well, it's also the, I like that you brought up like, you know, praising Kyle Shanahan with this because, you know, everybody likes to find, try and find the next Tyree kill. It's like, or the Patrick Mahomes. It's like, you know, they have Andy Reid with them too. Like you're finding the next Andy Reid too, to make this all work. Like Kyle Shanahan, makes this all work he figures out the best ways to get their guys in space with the ball and all of that and you also have you know a george kittle one of the best or the best blocking tight end in the league you have brandon Ayuk, who's able to be a wide receiver one so that when you have debo samuel lined up in running back or in the backfield you have another guy that can at least like have some production and pose a threat that you have to really account for on the outside as well it's it's funny because you think about like you think about a lot of these niner skill position guys kittle aside but you have to think the rest of these guys, especially Debo and the running backs and Jimmy G, I guess, by association, these guys would be way worse on other teams. Like, I'm not saying Debo Samuel wouldn't be a good player on any team because he would be, but he would not be this. And you know, Eli Mitchell would not be this. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, a lot of these running backs and, and a lot of these guys, you know, they, they would not be what they are on, on without. But that's what great average. organizations do. Like, that's where it's like, I, you know, you you. One of the great, like, what ifs is what would Patrick Mahomes be if he wasn't with the Chiefs? If he didn't have Tyree Kill, if he didn't have Travis Kelsey, if he didn't have Andy Reid, what would Travis, what would Tyree Kill be if he didn't have Patrick Mahomes and Tyre and Tra and uh and Andy Reid? It's, it's yeah, dude, all I mean, those things, definitely. 100%. Um, and then the, the one thing I want to touch back on this game is you know, Dak, this is a guy that you just paid 40 million dollars a year to, and yet again, we have another disappointment in the playoffs. And this is a team that now is going to, you know, his contract starts to get ramped up a little bit and it's going to cause some stringent points to this, to this roster. And this is a guy that's had elite talent around him throughout his entire career, really, especially on the offensive side of the ball. I don't know. I like it's, I, it's again, it's one game. He seemed to be playing a little bit injured be after the calf injury, but this is a guy that, you know, you, you start to, ask a little bit of a little bit of some questions because there hasn't been the playoff success despite the fact that he's been on a rookie deal despite the fact that they've had really a lot of talent especially on that offense and you see this offense now really struggle in this one especially on the back half of the season and culminating with this it's something to be said I think and it doesn't it shouldn't be swept under the rug 
Yep. Uh, I have a I have a a Debo comp for you. Okay. Percy Harvin. Yeah, I just think he's bigger. I I think that's a really good comp. I just think he's bigger. Yeah, no, it's definitely possible. I mean, look, again, we've never seen a player, we've never seen a player, a receiver, just be a running back like this. Although wasn't um the football team's running back, Gibson, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, Gibson was a, a wide receiver in college. Yeah, so but but still and he's big. The the ability to do both is just so unique, and especially to be a wide receiver first, because we know about Kamara, we know about McCaffrey, running backs who can catch. We don't know anything about receivers who can run. You know, all, all we see is a jet sweep at most. I feel like uh, I guess Jarvis Landry gets a couple carries now that I think about it. But you know, again, nothing nothing to this extent. Not even like, but yeah, it's not one of those where he's like Jimmy, like uh, who is it? Like Baker Mayfield's under uh, under center, and he's handing no, the ball yeah, off to like, like, like a stretch like to Debo. They like that red zone package for Landry where he takes the direct snap, and they've mm-hmm. had some some success there. Yeah, no, I agree. Okay, last game. Chiefs, Steelers, Chiefs, <laughs> oh, just like the uh, just like the Bills, <laughs> finally showed that you know what we've been what we've been hoping for because I thought the Steelers team would actually pose a little bit of a fight to them after seeing and them. they did and they did they, at first they, yeah they did at first but then it came down to the Steelers offense which is why I couldn't back them as much as I thought that they would keep the game close I couldn't back them because I knew the offense would still be as would be as bad and be as frustrating betting on it and it felt so nice not having the Steelers plus 13 and a half in this one trying to just trying to like root for Big Ben just trying to feel like he'll have at least some semblance of a solid performance out of him but it obviously wasn't the case in this one Yep. I think um, I thought it was a chief's masterclass in the sense that like you hold them to zero points through the first quarter and five minutes and they're, and they have 21 points at half. It's the chief special, you know, when, when the, when the Steelers forced the um, fumble touchdown, I was like, Oh, this is reminiscent of the bills game from week one that I brought up. I think last week I brought up, you know, the bills week one game. And I was like, wow, this could be similar in the sense that the, the chiefs maybe just can't get it going. And it's a defense first and they win in a 21 10 type game. Um, no, it didn't happen like that. You know, even though I was a little worried about the Chiefs reverting to the midseason Chiefs, um, it obviously didn't happen like that. And I mean, look, Kelsey was amazing. Hill was amazing. But I have to talk about Jarek McKinnon, a guy who I'd looked at on the roster all years. Like, wow, I feel like this guy should get a chance. And, you know, I don't play fantasy football anymore, but like if I was doing the fan duel lineups, or, like the single game lineups, I would take him. And, and I kept thinking, like, you know, this guy could explode. And lo and behold, in the playoffs, he just has an unbelievable game. You know, so versatile, 60 yards uh, rushing and 80 yards receiving, receiving touchdown. That's a really, really interesting element to the Chiefs that I was not expecting. No, I completely agree. And we'll start back off with the Steelers. I will start with the fact that the Chiefs didn't get off to the hottest start. The Steelers did a great job, I think, of limiting them and obviously did because they kept them out of the end zone for the most part. But then... Like we've seen time and time again with this Chiefs team, they can just, in spurts, in 16 minutes of game time, Patrick Mahomes threw for five touchdowns and 300 yards. And Kelsey threw for a touchdown, too. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So it's just, they're just, this is why it's so tough. And I'm pissed, I'm annoyed, because I, I teased the under with Chiefs minus six and a half. And I I'm, when the Chiefs were down seven, nothing, you saw the line was like Chiefs minus five. I'm like, I don't want to double bet this, but lo and behold, my under didn't hit while the Chiefs minus oh, five. The would worst, have, the worst. The worst. Dude, the you, worst. Know, you know why I'm mad? Because on, on the pod on Thursday, I was like, 
I was like, a lot of people are going to take this Chiefs Bucks six point tees to get to six and a half and two and a half, but it's a Joe play. And, and like, you know, lo and behold, I lose every single bet. And, and that ends up hitting, you know, without a yeah. shadow of a doubt, really. So it was just uh, kind of out sharp myself there, I'm afraid. Nah, I, I mean, I've done, I've done it too. I, I, yeah, didn't, cool. I didn't want it to, I didn't want to do the same bet, but it, like, this is the, like similar to the bills. This is the chiefs team that we've been waiting for and they showed it. I mean, we didn't, they didn't show it in the first quarter, but <laughs> with this chiefs team, the great thing is that they don't need to show it in one quarter. They can just do it just in these spurts because they, at some point the floodgates just open and the, the really? defense just knows they just need to just get somewhat like they don't need the defense knows that they don't need to win these games. They just need to get it somewhat like a reasonable amount of stops. I think, I think, you know, I make a decent amount of cross sports comparisons, but I think the chiefs and the warriors are like super alike. And, you know, you can do the Mahomes Curry thing. Yeah. And I just think it's a lot like a warrior's third quarter run where it's like, wow, like it's, you know, it's a barrage of threes and it's all happening so fast. That's exactly what the second quarter was of last night's game just a classic like barrage of touchdowns and and again you thought you had their number and next thing you know it's 21 seven and a half and you're looking around wondering what happened and it's just a classic chiefs thing they've done it in the playoffs in the past um man this game next week is going to be you know unbelievable yeah you i'm looking at the scoring the scoring now chiefs 550 they score their first touchdown two minutes left in the in the in the half they score their second touchdown 22 seconds left they score their third touchdown. So you're telling me three touchdowns in less than six minutes of game yeah, time. That's what they do. That is yeah. what they do. And the Steelers, man, you know, it's funny. You you uh, think about how good they were feeling halfway through the first – or sorry, halfway through the second, that is yeah. upset and nothing. And, and it just – you know, it's gone like that. Yeah. And, and then, and then you add in, you know, 10-18 left in the third. Like, they scored their fourth touchdown, 9-20, their fifth touchdown. So, literally from – 550 left in the second till 920 left in the third. So, you know, 11 minutes of game time, they scored 35 points. You know what, you know, what's crazy is like looking at this box score is that you're so used to just being Kelsey and Hill, but this was a game where like Pringle Hardman and Robinson all had at least four catches and, you know, 70 yards, 40 yards, 35 yards and two touchdowns for Pringle. Just, uh, you know, it was just the Chiefs. It was just the Chiefs being the Chiefs. It was fun to watch, honestly. I uh, put aside the fact that I, you know, thank God the Steelers are out and I, I can't bet on them again because I couldn't stop myself all year. But once I had sort of given up on that, it really is fun to just watch the Chiefs. They're definitely unlike any other team in that sense. And, um, yeah, it, it was a dominant win for them. And, again, it just, you know, we don't want to talk about it too much, save it for Thursday, but what a matchup. What yeah. matchup is going to be? Oh, I mean, both these teams. I'm going to like the comparison between what the Bills did and what the Chiefs did. I mean, eerily similar. I mean, we saw both these teams play probably their one of their best games of the season. We saw both their quarterbacks show why they are top two or top three in the NFL at this point. And you we know saw them great. spread it, and we saw them spread it out amongst a bunch of different guys. It wasn't just Stephon Diggs. It wasn't just Tyree Kill. It wasn't just Travis Kelsey. It was Gabe Davis. It was Dawson Knox. It was Cole Beasley. It was Miko Harmon. It was Jarek McKinnon. They were getting guys involved. And when you think about, you know, their running games aren't the strength of their teams. They still got Jarek McKinnon and Devin Singletary getting good yards. Exactly. Yeah, it's very true. And you know, you know what's great about this is that both teams are out for revenge. Mm-hmm. Right. The Chiefs knocked out the Bills in the playoffs last year. The Bills embarrassed the Chiefs this year. I think both teams want to get that back. So I think this gets a little bit personal. You know, this is definitely the start of what could be an amazing rivalry. You know, this could be the new Patriots Colts. 
right, with from the Manning and Brady days. There's there's no reason that both of these two teams shouldn't be the class of the AFC for the next five years. And you can never predict things out that far. But I mean, these teams look, they're set at quarterback. They have good coaches, they have good rosters around them with good offensive talent, solid defenses. I mean, both of these teams should be playing each other in the playoffs for a long time. No, that's where, I mean, the elite quarterback changes everything. I mean, I don't care. Like, if you go can go get an elite quarterback, you look at where the Bengals were two years ago. They were the number one team. Like, I had seen a story. A guy was sleeping outside until the Bengals uh, got a win during their 2018 season. He slept outside for, like, 56 days. <laughs> So, but then you see the drastic shift. They get Joe Burrow, they get the quarterback, they hit on the quarterback and then it flips their whole team. It doesn't matter that they have a bad offensive line because they got the quarterback there and he hides those, hides those weaknesses. And that's where you see what Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes do. Their lack of a run game, obviously in these two instances, in these two playoff games, they had a run game, but even on their worst days, they're able to, you know, bring out, bring up the offense raise the level of where the offense is, despite the fact that, you know, they're one dimensional. Yep. But that'll do it for us today. Tomorrow. Wait, I, actually, will... I actually have one more thing. I actually have oh, one more thing no that problem. I want to ask. So, um, so, so for tonight's game, just yeah. curious, you know, during the regular season, I would mostly watch the Manning cast on Monday night football, but when the Patriots played the bills and I was very invested in the game, like, you know, the first time they played in the, in the cold weather game, I found myself not wanting to watch the Manning cast and I switched over because I thought I was like too focused on the game. So I, with that in mind, which are you going to watch the Manning cast or the, you know, weavy broadcast? Oh, that, that's interesting. Cause I find that when I want to watch the Manning cast, it's more so like, I want to see how they think about with each, like, it's like a particular quarterback matchup that I, I'm interested to see that like the man, the Peyton and Eli like takes on it or the, or the guests, but I don't know. There's something to be said about just the generic, just the, the regular broadcast. And it's, I, it's, it's weird to say that about like the ESPN Monday night football one. Cause that's obviously the, I think the worst of the four major broadcasts, uh, but it's still sure. something to be said. Sure. Now we'll, we'll see. That's the thing. And, and so I'll probably start out on Manning cast. And I just think like, I think it'll you know, be a sometimes see, but sometimes obviously they're not talking about the game as much. That's why it's much better when you're watching the bears play the Steelers or some crap like that, because the game sucks. And like, you know, they're just going to talk about other stuff and that's fine. But Maybe, you know, they'll probably be more locked in on the game, too. I think they'll probably treat it a bit differently as it's a playoff game. I hope, you know, I hope hopefully a lot of like good guests, players as guests and stuff like that. Not a bunch of like random guys don't really know what they're talking about. Here, do you yeah. want the uh, do you want the list? Yeah, yeah, I came out with it. I know Russell Wilson. I'm hoping for a bunch of quarterbacks. I know Russell Wilson is on there. I think that's the only I think Dwayne The Rock Johnson and uh, who's the la- OK, so guest one is Larry Fitzgerald. Guest two, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Guess three is Russell Wilson. And we don't know who the fourth is? I, I guess not. Or they're only doing three, and then the fourth quarter is just them two. I'm good with that. I, or there's a chance that Russell Wilson is on for a long time because yeah. he was um, like he was on before he was really good. Remember, yeah. he was on, I think, I want to say week one in the Ravens-Raiders game, the one to OT. It might he be was, like a – it might be like a – because I assume it's like guest one is first quarter, guest two, second quarter. Because normally they do the four quarters if there's four no, guests. I know, but, but now but, that it's like three guests, I have to see how long they do. Well, if they space out amongst the entire game, amongst the three, or if it's like first three quarters and then maybe Russ stays for the fourth or they just do them two for the fourth. Well, the thing is that Russ is the first repeat guest that I can name. So mm-hmm. I think it's like – I think there's a chance that he does the entire second half. They, look, the, it's going to be Larry in the first and then The Rock in the second. I mean, there's no way anyone's going to carry – like. Rock's not going to carry over from the first half to the second half or anything like that. Um, anyway, I'm going to start on the uh, Manning cast. Hopefully they keep it to football. I mean, I know the Rock played, and obviously Larry Fitz and Russ Wilson did, so it should be good. 
And then, um, yeah, either way, I'm looking forward to the game. It's a, it's a true stay away for me. I, you know, I hate both teams. I, I don't want to, I don't want to be wrong either way. True stay away. Fair. I don't know where, which way I'm going. The three and a half makes me scared for the Rams, but I just like the Rams better. So maybe I'll try and live line it if I can. But uh, yeah, that's going to do it for us today. We'll be back tomorrow to uh, recap the Monday night game. We'll be adding this on to the end of the podcast. So if you're listening to this now, check back in tomorrow if uh, we haven't already added it. But uh, thank you for listening. And we'll be back on Thursday to preview the divisional round. Thank you for listening. Welcome into part two of the Wild Card Weekend right recap episode of the All Ball Podcast. George and I, obviously, if you see listen to part one, we went through all the games that happened on Saturday and Sunday, but there was one game that was still going on. And, you know, we got to get all the information out there as quickly as possible and might as well just review what happened Monday night on a Tuesday. So that's when we're recording this, mid, uh, noon on a Tuesday, Eastern time. Rams come out and just bully the Cardinals from start to finish in this one. And it's really, really, you know, what the, like, if you're a Rams fan, you need to win this game. You had put all your chips into the middle for this season. When you give all, when you give two first earners to Matthew Stafford, when you got all the contracts that they have, whether it's Aaron Donald, whether it's Jalen Ramsey, those are two of the premier guys in the NFL at their position, not even at their position in all of defense in all of the NFL. You need to make these years count. And when you go and trade for Matthew Stafford, who's also aging himself, that they felt like the more desperate team in this one. I, I don't know. Do you, what do you think about this? Yeah, I, I think um, for me, it was two teams trending in the wrong direction. And one of them just shot themselves in the foot a lot more than the other team. I thought early on in the game, you know, both teams were punting back and forth but the Cardinals were doing three and outs while the, while the Rams were at least kind of, you know, getting a couple first downs, making a couple plays together. And that was the first sort of inkling that I had that it was probably the Rams night. And then obviously it played out that way. Um, I, you know, we can get to the Rams in a second, but I, I actually think that this was more an indictment on just how far the Cardinals have fallen than it is good about the Rams. Um, they had nothing going the entire night. The run game didn't go at all. Kyler, two carries for six yards. I know we spoke. I don't remember if it was on camera or off about how you like the Kyler rush prop because you thought, like Josh Allen, they'd been saving him for the playoffs to run. Clearly not. Is that a defensive thing? You know, are teams better at defending him? Or or is he just not that guy anymore that he was in September? It, it, I think it's probably a bit of both. And he was bad. The receiving was bad. Um I think this game especially highlighted just how badly they actually need DeAndre Hopkins. And, and, you know, the defense was all right. You know, the offensive stats aren't unbelievable, but it's just the, the for the Rams, it's just the, the offense for the Cardinals was so, so bad. You can't win a playoff game like that. It's similar to the Chiefs-Steelers game where the Steelers defense was keeping them in that game early and the offense just couldn't muster anything. And at some point, the floodgates were going to open with the other team. And you need to keep yourselves within striking distance, or you need to build out on an early lead in the case of the Steelers and the Cardinals, and they just weren't able to do so. And the, it really is, I mean, we spoke about it numerous times, how it, the loss of DeAndre Hopkins, because of what we see this receiving core as being, where it's a bunch of twos and threes, they don't have the guys that can necessarily take over that one spot. They, it really shows your A.J. Green, zero catches. Zach Ertz, really not that involved. Christian Kirk, not that involved. Rondale Moore, really some underneath stuff. The offense as a whole couldn't get anything going in the Colin Murray part of it all, uh, where the, the running aspect of him, I mean, he had his first carry was 715 left in the third. And you're telling me Matthew Stafford finished the game with 16 more rushing yards on the day? Yeah. That, that's it's just, crazy. That, it's, that what, you know, what happened? What happened to the guy from September 
that was running all over defenses and extending plays. And he still showed some of that, you know, there was that one play third and long and he's like running around in circles and he throws a deep shot and it honestly should have been caught. It seemed like there were a miscommunication between the two receivers on like who was actually supposed to go for the ball. And one of the guys pulled up and that's the sort of stuff that Kyler Murray can still do and why you don't want to overreact and say, this guy actually sucks. He doesn't suck. He's, you know, he's still no question a top half, probably top 10 quarterback. I'm sure there's going to be some stuff that comes out about injuries. It's up to you how much, you know, stock you want to put in that. Cause remember Stafford's hurt too. Rogers is hurt. A lot of these guys are hurt. So just cause Kyler might have a problem doesn't mean that it excuses everything, but it adds context. It adds it yeah. adds context to it all. Look, I still think the guy from September exists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I no, like in no way is this saying like Kyler Murray sucks. He's still a guy that I would love to be the quarterback of my team. He'd be on the short list of guys that I want to build a franchise around. He'd be on the short list among a Joe Burrow, among a Justin Herbert, among a Patrick Mahomes. He'd be up there amongst probably the top five there if I really had to build out that list there. But it is worrisome again that you know if it is an injury case. This is, again, a guy that's just trending downwards and it severely affects his play because not that he's not great with his arm. like The running is a plus, but it's also something that I feel like you need to utilize, especially when you don't have a DeAndre Hopkins. I'm not saying he needs to be utilized like Josh Allen where you're running up the middle or between the tackles where you're trying to generate four or five yardage. But like when you get them on the, when you get them on the perimeter, just trying to get some easy yardages there where you can get, if you roll them out and he gets five yards, just an easy five yards. Cause they're worried about the deep shot. Maybe that's because Deandre Hopkins isn't there and the defense wasn't allowing that. I, but I think, I, I think even if that plays a part in it, it's just the sheer lack of run stats as the year progressed. That just doesn't make any sense to me. It's like, it's like he almost forgot what made him great. Like, Okay, let's let's take Russell Wilson, for example, who and I feel is comparable to Kyler Murray. And let's say, okay, you have no Lockett and DK, and you can't run. You're not looking at that good of a quarterback anymore. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's sort of what I feel like they did with Kyler, where it's like, okay, A, you don't have your top option. And, and then in addition to that, you're going to stop doing what makes you so unstoppable, which is the run, and then you tilt the numbers in your favor because guys have to be watching you all the time instead of watching receivers, and that's sort of how the offense gets going with these mobile quarterbacks. And they're just taking that away, and all of a sudden you're looking at a pocket passer who you know can move around, but he's not going to scramble, and he doesn't have any great receivers to throw to. And that's the performance you saw. I mean, you know, th- then he also has the classic like Stafford and Wentz um, – just take the safety, but I'm going to throw a pick six instead. I mean, that best case, that was intentional grounding. I guess technically best case, a Cardinals player would have caught it. And then, you know, it's a completed pass, but I think you got to eat the safety there. I just, there was a lot of stuff from the Cardinals. I really did not like, I mean, they just weren't ready. No, they were out executed in every facet, offense, defense, special teams, head coach or coaching in general. And look, you can say that really with any team that wins, but I feel like it's very glaring in this one. Like there were, there was like things that you looked at. I mean, the, the epitome of it was, you know, first quarter Cardinals tried double pass, but instead it, it's ruled a, an illegal forward. Yeah, that, pass. Was a tough, that was a tough so. call. That was, that was it, I thought it was rightfully so, but then you fast forward to the third quarter, the Rams try a similar type play, except they throw it behind uh, in front of the line of scrimmage. And it's completed for 40 yards. They're just out thought, executing them throughout the entire game. No, nah, I thought, um, I, I thought, you know, the first one, the first double pass, it was really close. Um, I mean, honestly, do, you know, don't let it be that close if you're the Cardinals, right? You know, throw it another yard or two back. Don't even leave it in the ref's hands. And I thought, you know, and just on this execution point in general, for me, this is way more about the Cardinals losing than the Rams winning. And, and, 
uh, sort of use that to transition to the Rams in the sense that I did not think they were amazing. I thought their defense was very solid, but you look down the line, it's like the run stats. Yeah, it's nice that you have both Michelle and Akers, but the reality is that, you know, they were averaging about three yards a carry between the two of them on 30 carries for 110 yards. It's not that great. The receiving stuff isn't that great. I mean, Stafford had great numbers, 13 of 17, 202, two touchdowns, but I still don't feel great in a game where he has to throw 30 to 40 times that he won't make at least one, probably two mistakes. So, and you know who isn't going to make as many mistakes as the Cardinals? is Tampa Bay, the team you're playing next week. You know, they're not going to do all this stupid stuff that the Cardinals did. So I actually think I think that you know you can come out of this game and say the Rams are finally clicking and they have all these star players, or you can say it's actually the same team and they just played a team that's self-destructed in a much more, you know, epic fashion than they did. And that's sort of how I feel. I'm not too high on the Rams after this. Um, I, I'm, I think I'm in the middle from there. I'm not so cut and dry where I, I think it was them – like they like they weren't as great, I think, as like the score indicates where they went 34 to 11 in general. I thought the, the Cardinals did shoot themselves in the foot and they didn't execute well enough, obviously, to put them in put to make this game closer. But it's still on the Rams. I think the fact is when you look at, you know, I'm trying to think about how, how I want to word this, but. I still think the fact that you can see a game where Cooper cup didn't really do anything in the first half and you're still able to put up, like have some production there. And then even with the running game, not being there and you're still able to put up 34 points and you can put say 27, if you don't want to count the Kyler Murray pick six, that's still like the fact that you can still put up 27 against a defense. That's still very good. Like we talk about what they're missing on offense defensively. They had JJ Watt back there, which I think was a huge boost to the mm-hmm. run defense. And then you still have, I mean, Buda Baker, hopefully I, everything seems like he's okay, but that was a guy that was still playing into the third and fourth quarters. You there's still a very good defense. You're still able to put up like very good numbers against. I still think there's something to be said about that. And I mean, early line was three of uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were favored. I, bet already the Rams plus three. I, I feel very comfortable with wow. the Rams. I think what they have on offense, what, what I saw from Cam Akers was very encouraging. He looked explosive as hell. He looks like he did before he tore the Achilles. And the fact that he's doing this five months out is very, very, um, very, very impressive. I, I think they, they mentioned it enough during the broadcast to kind of get that point home. Across. I mean, and if he, if he cleans up that one drop, all of a sudden you're looking at somewhat of a monster game from him. Mm-hmm, exactly. Um, and then one other thing I want to touch on is, you know, we don't have Cooper Cup doing the for like doing what he normally does, in the, especially in the first half. But then you have an Odell an Odell who stepped up a guy that this is why you went out and you got him because yeah, he's he can be somebody because he can be somebody that can carry an offense. He can be a guy such that's a number it's one, crazy. a number one receiving option. Or in this case, he's number two, really with the coverages, I'm sure. But he's somebody that can produce like a number one if given that opportunity. And it's really amazing. When he's in the red zone, a five foot eleven, six foot uh, wide receiver that's really, really solid at jump balls, like really yeah. good at jump ball, like being well, a jump ball like receiver. A, you think just, of a Calvin Johnson, you think of a DeAndre Hopkins who are six four, six five receiver, like a, Hul- like a Julio Jones or whoever else. But they, you know, Odell gets the fade, like he's one of those guys, and that's very true. I mean, look, Odell is—he's got to be the biggest X factor in the entire league right now. And honestly, Cam Akers is a close second. You know, these are two of the biggest, the single biggest X factors in the league right now in the sense that they're, um, you don't know, like the floor can be low, but the ceiling can be so, so high. I mean, I was really encouraged with what I saw from Odell. Um, I think, I think the one way that the Rams could cause the Bucks a lot of trouble, and I'll save most of this for Thursday, but I do think it's noteworthy that like, you know, Wurfs goes out and then you have 
you you have Miller and you have Donald and you have all these guys bringing pressure. And that's sort of the scenario that I like for the Rams, if they can pressure Brady a lot and make it so Brady can't just, um, you know, do whatever he wants. But the problem is he makes deci- he can make decisions so fast that a lot of times he can take the defensive line out of the game. No, I completely agree. And he, he saw that we saw him do that a couple of times in this game. And the fact is, again, with the Bucks, I mean, we'll talk about Jalen Ramsey versus Mike Evans. That's something where Jalen Ramsey just shut down. Like, it didn't seem like it was even, like, really trying for the most. Like, I didn't really see him for most of the game because I think they were avoiding him. But it's not like he was given that much of a of a challenge. Like, normally yeah, when well, it's like a DeAndre Hopkins, you see the challenge there. And he'll still hold – he'll very much hold his own, hold DeAndre Hopkins to, like, three for 26. I believe the last uh, – the stat I saw was, like, um, the last five matchups against the Cardinals, he's held – uh, he hasn't allowed more than 25 receiving yards. So, so we could talk about um, just like on this topic of receivers and stuff like that. AJ Green, you know, his stats actually aren't that bad when you look at the season as a whole 55 catches, 850 yards, three touchdowns. But I do feel like it was a disappointing season for him. I just felt like when they needed him to have a big game, he wasn't really there to deliver. Um, I thought, you know, I thought this was like the lower end of what I would have expected for him being on a good team. This was sort of the, and you know, you see a similar performance level out of Julio. So maybe it's just not the case that these guys who've been on bad teams for a while can go to good teams and get a total reinvigoration. I mean, when you're over the hill, you might just be over the hill, but I, I, especially last night, zeros, I expected a bit more. Uh, I was anticipating him not putting up much. I took his under and receiving yards after we got off the pod. Um, but it was, I think it's just more so he's a two, he's not a guy that can be that one. And when you have the reliance on him to be that you're going to be very, very disappointed at the end of it. It's so tough because you think the Cardinals are loaded with weapons and they are, but uh, you know, we said it a million times when you lose D hop, but it's like, man, like Christian Kirk, Rondell Moore, you know, Benjamin and Zach Ertz are your leading receivers. Like you, t- we, we, were, we were talking about the Bucks yesterday, and it's like, you know, you can still feel comfortable about this team. I think that's because you have Mike Evans, and Mike Evans is the and presumptive. Well, well, I'm just saying Mike Evans is the one. If Mike mm-hmm. Evans goes out and you're telling me Chris Godwin and Rob Gronkowski, you, you think about that team a little bit, like, I think differently than what you normally would. If you if it's just Antonio Brown and Gronk, it's like Mike Evans is the guy there. If you told me that if they lost Christian Kirk and A.J. Green, but they had DeAndre Hopkins and Rondell Moore, you still feel comfortable at this offense being able to put up 21-plus on a regular basis. But when you take out the number one and you don't you don't have a guy that can pick up that load, like, like, if, like I'm trying to think of a one-two combo. The one that comes to my head is last year with the Falcons when it was Julio and Calvin Ridley. Right. where you have a guy there that you can go kind of tandem with where if Julio's out, Calvin Ridley stepped up. If Calvin Ridley's out, Julio hopefully would step up. I don't see that here with this team. So that's yeah. where you, you, you can put so much onus on these guys, but I feel like it just, you are, you're expecting too much of them. Okay. So I guess the last thing then is sort of, we'll do the obituary for the Cardinals season. Um, for me, I still think you take a lot of positives from it. You make the playoffs. Um, unfortunately you kind of had the same problem in back-to-back years where you really faltered as the season goes on, but in general, I'm keeping the coach. Um, I'm keeping all the players. I'm running it back exactly as it was. I'm just maybe making some changes. What can we do to make Kyler last the whole season where he runs more in January than he does in September, not the other way around, but you know, all things considered, I thought it was a good season for them. Very good season. If you told me, if you told a Cardinals fan going into it, you were in the playoffs, you would come in uh, second in the, in the division and all this, they would have been, I think 
pleased. But I think when you have to look dive deeper into it outside the vacuum, you have to be a little bit disappointed. And there is, I, I don't think there should be these overarching and these overarching changes like where you're getting rid of players and all this, but I think there needs to be a serious look at Cliff Kingsbury because the track record for him, even at Texas Tech, is very, very troublesome. When you look at it. Texas Tech in 2013, started 7-0 but lost five of the next six games. Started 2-0 but lost eight of the final 10 games. 5-2, lost four of the final six games. 3-1 but lost six of the final eight games. 4-1 but lost six of the final eight games. 5-2 but lost the final five games. Three, three, and one with the Cardinals, but lost seven of the final nine games. Six and three, but lost five of the final seven games. That's crazy. Seven and oh, but have lost the, f- the five of the last eight games. That was this season. So the, that's, it, that's it, unbelievable. The trend, even starting back to college, is just very worrisome with him. And I'm not saying 100% don't bring him back, but it's something I think you need to start talking about if you're in Arizona about whether or not this guy's sustainable with how his team is run throughout the entirety of a season because yeah, that, we have seen the track record where it hasn't been there. And I'm not saying you need to do it this season, but I think if it, tra- if it translates to next season, it's a definitive thing that he needs to be gone. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. Cause, um, because, you know, for, for the, for the Texas tech piece of it, I personally would get like, you know, the first excuse sort of for him that popped into my mind is like, well, maybe not excuse, but, you know, you play your conference games later in the season. So maybe he was playing some easy, like out of conference opponents. And then he, and then they tailed off when they played the big 12 teams rather than, um, but then you pair it with the Cardinals thing. And even if you think you play more divisional games, as the season goes on, which really wasn't that true before this year, they really backloaded it heavy this year, more than usual. Um, man, it's undeniable that that's a pretty bad track record and pretty consistent. You know, it's a trend to the point that, you know, it's a, it's a good find by you because it is more than just the NFL stuff. It's the college stuff too. Very interesting. Um, and when you couple that with again, a quarterback, when you couple that with a quarterback too, that we talked about with the health yeah, stuff. Yeah, who has the same problem. Now, but look, I think, I think at the end of the day, you gotta, you gotta bring him back because, because the team's been on an upward trajectory every year since he got there. Um, on the other hand, I guess if you keep him around too long, the window could have passed and you forgot to make your move. But for me, I'm hard pressed to not bring him back. Um, I think I, from my understanding, I think the players like him and stuff like that. I know a lot of people like in the media seem to not, but um, for me, I, I bring him back. Definitely. I would probably him bring him back because I think the whole thing is like, who are you bringing in instead of him? I think that's exactly. the question you need to ask because everybody can be like, Oh, get rid of him. But like, who are you bringing in? I know there's good candidates, but how much are significantly better where you're willing in pretty much a make or break year because you have Kyler Murray coming to the end of his rookie contract. And I like their really offense. Want to move off like, even if I think Kingsbury would be better off being their OC than their head coach, you can't be at your, you can't demote him. So, you're, so, so, you know, I like what they do on offense and I like the way their defense plays. So frankly, you know that, and it's not like he's making some glaring clock management mistakes either. So just about being ready and being ready for the whole season and peaking at the right time. And I give him one more shot to get that right. Yeah. That's, I think that's the biggest point because in the NFL and in really all football, it's about peaking at the right time. You, you yeah. can't be losing, obviously, like dropping games early, like dropping like flies, but you need to be peaking at the right time. And this team, Cliff Kingsbury in general, his teams have just not been able to do so. And the same, similar to Kyler. So I think it's also on him, but I think that's more so like the coach has to figure that out. But uh, that's going to do it for us today. A little quick one, a little quick in and out here. We'll be back on sure. Thursday to actually preview all the games from the divisional round. So uh, we'll catch you then.